Are you there? Good evening. You are, somebody's here. Let's try that again. I'm an old school teacher. Good evening. Now that sounds more like. I'd like to start with a with a um, a quick video this evening. Uh, we've been talking about the way God created you and me, and we looked at at God's masterpiece when He wove us together in the womb. But then we've also talked about the ways that the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Um, this little video comes from the skit guys. And one of them uh, talks about a classmate of his in school who was handicapped and how he met Jesus. And it's never, ever our intent to poke fun or to laugh at someone who has some kind of handicap. And that's not this. And um, so I hope you can hear the message this evening if if it... Um, is different. Please talk to me afterwards. Year of high school, I met this girl. Her name was Stacy. Stacy was a believer. Okay, we um, realized that. Is it in, in that mirroring? High school, I met this girl. Mirror booking retina display. She realized that you know we, we love God, we love others. Okay, what and do I need to do to get this? She, she loved God and she loved others. Well, I would be afraid and I would look at her. Can I expand it? Where everybody had shared Jesus with people. I just thought that was view. Try view and see if we can get. Okay. It's close. Try try view and see if it'll go to full screen. Get to screen. How do I get it back? There we go. Thank you, Jesus. In my last year of high school, I met this girl. Her name was Stacy. Stacy was a believer. She realized that we love God and we love others. And that loved God and she loved others. Well, I would be afraid and I would look at how she would intermingle with everybody and share Jesus. I just thought that was like, guys, I don't, I don't go get to, that. How could she just go out there and do that? But she would do that. So I want to tell you a story. Okay. I want to tell you a story about Stacy and a guy in our class in school named Dennis. Hi. My name is Dennis, and um, it's okay if you laugh. I'm used to it. Um, I'm supposed to tell you my story, so it goes something like this. Um I was at school, you know, one day, and um, at my locker, and I dropped my books, right? And that's probably not a big deal to you, but to me, it's a whole production to try and pick them back up, you know? So I'm standing there in the hallway trying to use the force, you know? <laughs> and the force was not with me, you know? <laughs> and all of a sudden, this pretty blonde-haired girl walks up, and she says, Hey, my name's Stacy. Can I help you? And I was like, how about you do that? Yeah. 
So Steve picked up my books, and uh, she, she said, hey, how about I carry these to your class? And I was like, who am I to keep a pretty girl from doing her good deed of the day, you know? So she carried my books to class, and the whole time she just talk, 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 you know? And we got to my class, and she set my books on my desk, and she said, oh, she said, I'm so sorry, I'm um, you know, I, I, I didn't even let you get a word in edgewise. And I was like, it is okay, you know. And then she just kind of stopped and she looked at me. And she said, hey, she said, I got a great idea. She said, me and some of my friends are going roller skating tomorrow night. Why don't you join us? And I was like, <laughs> I was like, um, I don't do so well on wheels, you know. And, I barely do okay on feet, you know. And she said, it's okay. I will help you. I said, okay, you know. So that next day, Stacy came and picked me up and took me to the skating rink. <laughs> I don't know who was more scared, me or the guy I handed my money to and said, size nine and a half, please. <laughs> <laughs> Stacy, um... Stacy helped me get my skates on, and for a while I just sat over to the side. But it felt so good just to be included, you know. And and then Stacy skated over, and she said, "Hey, Dennis, come on out and skate." And I was like, "No, no, I'm good." And she said, "No, come on." I was like, "No, it's cool." She said, "Come on, I will help you." I said, "Okay." And so Stacy helped me out to the skating rink. <laughs> you should have seen it. What? <laughs> I just looked at them and I was like, it's cool, I'm a professional skater, you know? <laughs> we all got out on the skating rink and this leg went that way, this leg went that way. But with Stacy's help, I, I made it around the skating rink twice. It was fantastic, you know? After we'd finished skating, Stacy was dropping me off at my house. And she said, hey, Dennis, I've got another great idea. She said, tomorrow night, my family is having a cookout and going swimming. Why don't you join us? And I was like, you see this body? It don't float, you know? <laughs> and she just smiled and she said, it's okay. I will help you. I said, okay, you know. So that next day, my mom took me to the store and bought me a swimsuit and dropped me off at Stacy's house. It was so great just to feel the sun on my body, you know. And Stacy was in the pool. I was sitting on the edge. And she said, Dennis, why don't you put water? And I was like, no, no, I'm good. She said, no, come on. I was like, no, it's okay. She said, it's okay. I will help you. I said, okay. Stacy helped me down into the shallow end of the pool. And I was like, we. <laughs> she said, no, come in the deep end. And I was like, no, I'm good, you know. She said, no, come on. I was like, no, no, no. She said, come on, I will. And I stopped her and I went, I know, you will help me, you know. <laughs> and she just smiled, you know. And she said, I will if you'll let me, you know. I said, okay. And so Stacy held out her arms and helped me float in the deep end. It was fantastic, you know. After we'd finished swimming, we 
eating hamburgers and Stacy telling me about all of her dreams and plans. And I'll tell you right now, that girl could change the world, you know. And then she stopped and she just looked at me and she said, Hey, Dennis, she said, tell me about your dreams. And I said, no, I don't really have any. She said, come on, everybody has dreams. I was like, nope, not me. And she just, she kept persisting. And finally, I just got frustrated with her. So I looked at her and I said, okay, Stacy, dreams? I'll tell you my dreams. I said, in my dreams, this old leg is straight, just like everybody else's. And I said, in my dream, this old hip is right in place, just like everybody else's. And I can run and jump the problem. And I said, in my dreams, these old crippled hands are no longer crippled. And if I drop my books, I just stand down and pick up my books, no problem. And I said, in my dreams, these old glasses to see anymore. I said, in my dreams, my mouth is normal, just like everybody else's. And in my dreams, I don't look different than anyone else. And in my dreams, nobody talks behind my back. In my dreams, I don't hate what I see in the mirror. But then, I always realize we sat there in silence, much like this, for what seemed like an eternity. And then I'll never forget what Stacy said that day. She looked me square in the eye. She said, Dennis, that's the dumbest dream I've ever heard. said, no, Stacy, I'm a joke. And she just shook her head at me. She said, oh, Dennis. She said, you are so busy looking on the outside. She said, God doesn't look on the side. He looks at the heart. She, she said, you have a great heart, Dennis. And she was right. 
I guess it was probably like two or three weeks later. Stacy came by my locker. She said, Hey, Dennis, I got another great idea. I was like, Oh, boy. She said, um, she said, why don't you join me at my church tonight? And I was like, surprise. <laughs> but I went to Stacy's church. And Stacy's God, who looks at the heart, became my God, who looks at the heart. I know, I know the truth. I know some of you, just like I used to, you hate what you see in the mirror. My failings are obvious. Some of you, yours are hidden. But you know what? There is a God who looks at the heart. And I said, Stacy, how can he just look at my heart and not see all my failings? It's called grace. And I remember we sang this song that night. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I don't know how that skit connects with you, but I love the focus. And I want to be like Jesus more and more. Jesus looks at, at the heart. And I'll admit that it's easy for me. I'm prone to look at someone on the outside and jump to some goofy conclusion about who they are or what their values may be rather than caring about the heart. We've been talking about things and about pain and about the heart and how Jesus comes to heal 
our hearts. <clears throat> a couple years ago, the Journal of Neuroscience published the results of a, a fascinating study that probes um, deep into human emotion. Sometimes when we talk feelings and when we talk emotion, when we talk heart, people say, well, isn't, what's the difference? And I say, no, the emotions are not the heart, but our emotions are the voice of the heart. There were two Dutch scientists who conducted an experiment <clears throat> in which they exposed a group of test subjects to a wide range of events and scenarios to stir in them some of the most powerful, primal human emotions. Joy and anger and depression and, and so on. They hooked these subjects up to an EEG, an electroencephalogram, in order to quantitatively measure um, their brain's uh, cognitive response to powerful emotions. And the results were pretty conclusive. The most powerful emotional experience, as measured by the sheer volume of brain activity and neurological reaction, was, what do you think? Emotion. Do you suppose got the most powerful and profound response? Help me out. Great possibility, but no, it wasn't love. Hate, not that either. Fear, that might be close, but not that. Pain, um, we'd have to talk about that, uh, kind of. What? Um, no, it wasn't that either, but joy, bitterness, no. Rejection, eh, maybe close. Hope, no. Depression, no. Shame, uh, can you spin that one out a little bit? We're getting close. Sorry? Failure, no. no. Guilt, no. Well, let me help you out. I'm sorry. Shame. Uh, in the ballpark, humiliation. And a lot of the answers that you gave were, were getting very close. When you think about that, when I sort of explore that, it, it explains a ton of things for me. We've talked about the way God works. When we run to the house of the God of Jacob and he, he shows us the way He works so that we can live the way He created us, the way He designed us to live. God, God wired you and me as social creatures. I love watching you guys in the breaks and around and I see you hanging out in clusters and socializing and being social and Finding places of, of connection. We're looking for acceptance. And someone mentioned rejection. And that's why 
for many of us, fitting in or conformity is so much easier than somehow standing out from the crowd or being apart. Even when what the crowd is doing is absolutely insane, makes no sense at all whatsoever. And we get labeled then as well if we're if we don't conform and we think independently. I'm an old school teacher and I like I'm always, always open to your interruptions if you're not sure where we're going, if you want to flag me down. We spent a year in Oregon, and while we were there, um, in my other life, we went to a, a hymn sing at the local Holderman Church. How many of you know the Holdermans? Some of you. Those people can sing, I'm telling you. And as the evening wore on, the, the guy that was in charge, periodically he would say, there's liberty. And I thought, yes, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. But what does he mean? Well, as the evening wore on, I began to catch on that when he said there's liberty, what he was doing was inviting people to share a song or a verse of Scripture or a testimony or something like that. And I've never forgotten that line. And so I want all of you, the guests and all, I want you to think. And uh, so we're going to come back to this whole question of identity. We're talking about cardio support. Earlier I told you that foundationally, bottom line, that one of the most important things about you and me is our identity. A.W. Tozer said, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. We're talking about foundations. The last year or so, I've been enjoying <clears throat> learning about foundations in Florida. Bonnie and I, uh, as you know, um, our house is on wheels, and we enjoy a delightful uh, behind her mother Ruth's place, and now my mother Ruth's place on the bank of Philippi Creek. One of the things I've learned, though, since being there is that a number of years ago, her parents had trouble with, with one end of the house cracking and settling. And when they got an excavator in to figure out what was wrong, they found the remains of a palm tree that had been buried underneath the foundation, been buried during construction. And as it disintegrated and rotted and returned to dust, it allowed the house to settle. And the foundation was faulty. I'm guessing that many of you could think of your own illustrations to this truth. If the foundation is not properly or correctly laid, then the structure that's built on top of it is make any difference how carefully we build on top of it. The quality of the materials that we use is really sort of irrelevant. 
The quality of the workmanship doesn't matter. The end result is shaky and not survive. This has been, this question of foundations has been, for Bonnie and me, has been pretty front and center the last several months uh, as we followed my sons and a daughter-in-law who live in Anchorage, Alaska. I don't know how many of you heard about the 7.1 or 2 meg earthquake back on when? November 30th? Anybody hear about that? About 7 to 10 miles north of the city of Anchorage. My daughter-in-law spoke of her deep deep appreciation for engineers and architects who built office buildings in Anchorage with that kind of shaking in mind. Even when she was crawling under her desk at work trying to find a place of safety. Downtown Anchorage has a 31, I think, 31-story office tower. True story that is built on huge rollers. I would not want to be working in that building when it starts rolling around and moving. But then the aftershocks, and I think within the first month, the seismologist registered over 6,000 aftershocks. I don't know what the number is now. My kids just laugh and and they say, no, Dad, we're not talking aftershocks. They're earthquakes. And some of them are pretty intense. My second son, Keith, um, who I just saw I missed a call from a few minutes ago, uh, talked to him earlier. He said, if you want to feel something really, really weird, he said, try sitting in your your Toyota Tacoma pickup at a stoplight and having it rock back and forth from side to side, almost against the stops, shaking that kind of crazy. Well, let's bring this to you and me. We're talking about foundations and what you and I believe about ourselves, who we are is our identity. And I believe with Tozer that what you and I believe about God and especially relationship to us is such a key part of our identity. And just like the other areas of life that we've been talking about, where the foundation is shoddy or where it's faulty, maybe it has gaps or voids, it inevitably will create cracks in ours. Ephesians is one of my favorite books in the New Testament because Paul is all about who you and I are In Christ. That phrase, in Christ or in Him, is used, I think, all the way through the letter. In the first chapter, we find it 11 times and then 30 more times throughout the rest of the letter. Paul gets really graphic in his description of what this connection, our connection to God really is. What it means to be in Him and who we really and truly are. In his sight. Verse 7, chapter 1 In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses or our sins, 
according to what? The riches of His grace, which He lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, He made known to us the mystery of His will. What strikes me as Paul unwraps this throughout his letter is just the incredible reality, if you will, profound reality that God doesn't love you and me because we are so special or because we have qualities somehow that deserve to be loved. His love for you and me is purely and simply because of who He is and all that He did for you and me through Jesus Christ. God is a God of justice. I sometimes think that if you and I never understand God's justice, it's impossible for us to understand His mercy and His grace. But in the end, it's it's this love that it's is for us that's just such an incredibly, amazingly solid and unshakable foundation for all. I told you earlier this afternoon about a dear friend of mine who who was sexually abused by a family member. We were sitting with her and we were praying. We were going to Jesus. And I I invited her to pray with me. I said, "Let's let's let's go running to Jesus." I said, "Just pray with me. Jesus, can I come to you right now?" it was silent. I was sitting on a love seat. She was sitting on the floor leaning against a, a couch just across a small apartment. Nothing happened. I was watching. And she began trembling. And I said, I said, what's what's happening inside? She said, I can't I can't imagine talking to Jesus. Christian school teacher, loved her kids, told them how much God loved them. I said, but you you pray. Who do you pray to? Well, I, I pray to God. Well, when you think of God, where where is He? And she said, oh, he's, he's on the far side of the universe. I said, really? I, I, I said, well, when, when you that, God, what, what is he like? And she said, oh, it's, it's, it feels like he's holding me out over the edge of a cliff. And the moment I do something wrong, he'll drop me. <clears throat> and I thought, makes perfect sense. If that's the God that I know, I want him on the far side of the universe too. I don't want to get very close to him. I just as soon keep him at a distance. Well, in the beginning of chapter 4 of Ephesians, Paul calls you and me to live a life that's whole and complete, put together, if you will. He says a life worthy of the calling that we have received. A life where shapes and defines everything that we do in life. It sets our destiny. It's a life where our foundational identity is where we live. 
well, I, I guess that's true regardless of the shape or the condition of, the, of our foundation. We do live out of what's true in our hearts. So why is it that oftentimes we struggle with understanding who we are in Christ? We get stuck in ruts and we hate it. And we feel hopeless to get on with life or to find our way into strong, healthy relationships. And we wonder, why isn't life making much sense? Well, maybe we need to look at this verse from 1 Thessalonians 5.22 and the scriptural distinction between body, soul, and spirit. Paul writing to this church, he says, Now may the God of peace self sanctify you completely. For me, sanctify is just a big theological word which means be like Jesus. Become like Jesus. Grow into His image. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know if, if it will be helpful to you as it was to me to think in terms of these three aspects of our being in terms of English grammar. When you and I come to Christ, when we're, when we're apart from Christ, our spirits are dead. There's no life there. They're disconnected from God. But when we're adopted into the family, when we become heirs of God, co-heirs of Christ, our spirits are alive. They're purified, they're purged, they're renewed, they're born again, transformed. Alive. That's past tense when you and I come to Jesus Christ. What about the body? I've sort of looked around and I've seen some very, can I say this? It's Kate, right? We talked about cute. Was it this afternoon? I've seen some really cute young ladies here, guys. But I haven't seen anyone yet that got a new body when you accepted Christ. But we will, the time is coming when these bodies will be made new. And so that's future tense. Our spirits came alive when we met Jesus, when we accepted Christ. Our bodies will be made new. What about our souls? Not so much. Our souls can still be a royal mess. They can be loaded with all kinds of hurts and bitterness. And there can be places of sin or enemy oppression or strongholds that we struggle with. My soul can be a place of twisted or corrupted ideas about who I am, my identity. I can be bound by shame or condemnation or guilt. Think about the reality around the difference between what Jesus has done, who I am legally in Him, and the lies that I believe about myself and myself and my situation. I don't know if it would be helpful to do a little detour here. We've, we've talked about 
shame and guilt. And sometimes I think we, we don't really carefully distinguish between those two. Guilt says, I did something wrong. I sinned. Free of guilt, what do I need to do? Repent, turn from those ways. Confess, I like, yeah, confess my sin, repent, ask for forgiveness. Maybe I've wronged someone and so I need to pay back what I took from them and then I'm free. I can be free even if they choose not to forgive me. It may hurt, but my spirit, my my heart can be free. Shame, on the other hand, says not I did something wrong, but I am wrong. I'm flawed. There's something wrong with me. I don't belong. I'm illegitimate. It's like a curse put on my being, oftentimes by the people who are closest to me as I grow up. Um, hmm. Some of us perhaps grew up in a shame-based kind of culture where all our parents knew in terms of training or discipline. I never learned Pennsylvania Dutch, but it's something sort of like shimney. Was I close? (laughs) What does that mean? Shame on you. Ah, It just drips. Shame on you. You're bad. So, we talked about how to get rid of guilt. How do I get rid of shame? Oftentimes, I try to work harder and do more to prove that I'm okay. I run faster. Somebody said we become human doings rather than human beings. But it never works. I can never do enough. And so I carry the shame. How do I get rid of it? Only one place. Only one person. It's only when you and I bring that shame to Jesus. And He washes and cleanses us. I love the line in that song. The cross has spoken. What? I'm forgiven. And the what? The King of Kings. What? Calls me his own. It doesn't get any better than that. When Jesus free. Um, There's a little paperback book that I would recommend if you enjoy reading. It's called Living from the Heart Jesus Gave Me. Uh, There's the second or third edition now. It comes out of the Shepherd's House in California. But a delightful uh, little little book. They talk about the distinction between heart and soul. But for now, let's talk about heart where, where it's truth that reigns over all of the choices that you and I make in the daily routine. You know, I've always known that God loved me. That 
I, I learned that from little up. God is love. And God loves me. But there were so many ways because of some sexual abuse issues early in life with all the accompanying guilt because of choices that I made then and because of the shame of that. Gaps in the parenting which I received, which was, as you get to know me, that it was almost perfect, not quite. Um, There were gaps. But I struggled to feel loved by both my Heavenly Father and my earthly father. And for a lot of years I just knew that God was busy with other priorities. And that along with that, that he was disappointed in me. That I could never quite get it right. I just couldn't measure up. Until Jesus took me to a place of dealing with the issues of my heart. Cardio support. Cardio care. I couldn't find the place of intimacy, security, or confidence in his embrace. So is it possible for you and me that when we talk about identity, it's really just about working our way from where the enemy holds you and me hostage to the place of who we really are in Christ and what he says about When it comes to lies... I believe that that's probably one of the biggest issues in terms of getting to who we really are. If we think about the foundation analogy, the lies are a faulty faulty foundation that leave you and me with cracks in our soul. Lies really have no power or control over you and me until we agree with them. Time gets away. We may have to figure out what we're going to do with some of this. What you and I believe to be true about ourselves and about the people around us and about God will ultimately shape the choices and the decisions that you and I make in life, the way we live. And so we need to keep coming back again and again, and making sure that we're building on the rock-solid foundation of who we are in Jesus Christ. How do we do that? I'd like to give you a couple tools. The first thing is what Paul speaks about in the renewing of the mind. And that really only happens in the presence of Jesus. The Greek word is metamorphosis. And it's translated transformed. It's used twice in reference to Jesus being transfigured or transformed when three of his disciples witnessed that on the mountain. Other two times it's in connection to our personal transformation. 2 Corinthians 3, Paul is uh, talking about the glory of the ministry of the, the Spirit, ministry of righteousness, and he says, Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being what? transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. He talked about how there was a veil over their hearts in the reading of the Old Testament. But when we come to Jesus, that veil is taken away. 
Jesus told his guys that it was to their benefit that he go back to the Father so that he could send his spirit to live in them. And so now you and I have full time, 24-7 access through the Holy Spirit living within us into the very presence of God himself. I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be here today if Jesus hadn't begun that transforming presence of God. I'm not even anywhere close to being perfect when it comes to living and walking in the Spirit. But I know how sweet and how secure it is when I hear His voice, when I hear His whisper. This renewing of the mind is something that happens in the truth, standing firm on the truth. It's not something that just happens passively to you and me, but you and I play an active role. Jesus says in John 8:31, we've talked about this, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples and you shall know the truth and the truth will set free. Lots of different takes on that. I gave you my take, my understanding of that earlier today and so I won't replay that. Uh, did I tell you then that Jesus loves to ride in Hondas? Do you know that? I said that somewhere in Minnesota, and a lady right here said, that's nothing. He likes to ride in beat-up Ford Tauruses. Conversations. Learning to hear those fathers. So in the end, it's not about just knowing truth in our heads, but it's holding on to the truth in the face of the lies over and over and over again. I like the paraphrase of that verse in the message where it says, then you will experience for yourselves the truth. You will experience Jesus as the truth when He comes in the quietness and the whispers in your heart. It's what we talked about this afternoon, this morning, when we were talking about the way Jesus comes in forgiveness as we choose to forgive. You and I are affected by lies in all kinds of ways. They, they come through the things that happened to us early on. They come through the things that were told us by people around us. They come through the painful experiences that we know, through the perversions, the corruption of the culture that we live in, and sometimes just simply through the enemy's nasty deception. And it's those lies that keep you and me from experiencing all that the Father has for us. In the foundation analogy, it's those lies that produce no end of cracks in our lives and relationships. So if we're going to repair a foundation, we need to go back to Eden. We can't fix something that we don't know exists. And so somehow we have to become aware of what the issues are. One person said, you and I can never rise above our self-awareness. So the first step is to begin to identify what the laws are that define how you and me live. Adam and Eve reached for fig leaves to cover themselves. What are the things that you and I reach for to hide our shame or our inadequacy? There are symptoms, I believe, of the lies that you and I carry. I'd like to wrap up with some of those. We'll... Hopefully tomorrow morning we'll on into what some of those lies, lies might. Um, the first symptom that I'd like to look at is, is simply defensiveness. If, I build, if I've built my life on a foundation of lies, 
then it makes sense to me to see that structure as a false way of looking at myself from the world. And so that means that I, I'm constantly looking for ways to prop it up and, and to defend it from people around me. I told you earlier how in my other life, my wife noted 20 years in that she didn't feel safe with me. I didn't get that. I talked about my anger being religiously correct. So Jesus took me to a place, I'm still getting there by the way, of caring more about emotional intimacy and about heart connectedness than about being right. A hundred years from now, I'll let Jesus sort out the right pieces in some of that. But I want connection with Bonnie, with my sons and daughters and sons-in-law, my grandkids. Still trying to figure out what that means sometimes. Another symptom that you and I are believing lies is, is just in the pettiness of the things that irritate me or annoy me. There was a time, I hate to admit it, but there was a time when I didn't have much patience for someone that I judged as lazy or, or sick or sickly or you fill in the blanks. I think it had something to do with the faulty foundation of finding my value around my achievement or my performance, my production. I was trying to find it in my doing rather than in my father's delight. Another symptom of believing lies is compulsive behavior in one way or another. Like the way Matt has been unwrapping the addictions and some of that. Um, I won't go there. When I feel inadequate or somehow less than, I'll, I'll latch onto something to fill in the vacuum. Food, money, things, position, prestige, the list goes on and on and on. When you and I change things in our environment, it will never, ever heal the pain inside. It's only when you and I purity, the safety, if you will, in the unconditional, eternal love of Jesus as it's revealed and confirmed to you and me by the Holy Spirit that we will be free. Can I say that again? It's only... When you and I connect with the power, the security, the safety of the unconditional, eternal love of Jesus through the witness of the Holy Spirit inside, that we will be free and whole. I hesitate to go there, but if Matt can talk to you and me without filters, I guess maybe I can a little bit. Some of us, not you, but... Other people understand the power of that addictive prison of pornography or some other compulsive behavior. And it never works to tell someone to just stop it or to read the Bible more or to pray more or to add some kind of rigid accountability because none of those things will address the pain and the brokenness inside. And so the only answer is to ask the question about the faulty foundation that needs to be repaired. And that really is a simple question. What are the lies underneath the behavior? I recently connected with 
a Dr. Gabor Mate, a secular social scientist from Vancouver, B.C., who's worked in the homeless and the addictive community there, is at the root of all addictive behavior. He says, all addictions originate in trauma and emotional loss. Uh, Matt can tell us whether that's a popular view these days. I don't think so. He says their source is found in one's early childhood environment. And again, he says the essential condition for healthy development is the child's relationship with nurturing adults. And so, like others say, we have to find ways to cope with or manage or numb our pain by choosing whatever kind of medication works for us when what we need to do is go to those root issues. I saw somebody over here on one of the tables had a beautiful picture, a drawing of a tree and and a root system that was amazing. There's lots of ways that you and I can cope with pain. The question for us is my passion. Wrap this up or or end with this tomorrow. The, The enemy's goal for every single one of us, I believe, is to separate you and me from the Father and from His embrace. It's time to close, and so we're going to do that. What I would invite you to do, to challenge you to do, is keep asking Jesus to show you the Father's embrace and show you who the Father really is. Maybe we'll start with that tomorrow morning and talk a little bit about what it looks like to become beloved sons, beloved daughters, and some of the ways that God works, perhaps from the moment of conception. If I were sending you away, uh, those of you that are here for the week, for a time of reflection in your small groups, I would have you look at some of these things. What are the things that you heard from your parents or your siblings most commonly? Do you remember any family slogans or proverbs? Were they spoken or were they largely unspoken? Think about the experiences for you that were the most shaping or defining or molding? Were there things that seemed to have a cyclical, repetitive kind of pattern that around and around again and again? That's how the enemy often writes lies into the fabric of our souls. Are there things you find yourself repeating to yourself in your, in your self-talk? That was dumb. Why did I do that? Or whatever. Then invite Jesus.